Okay. That's is that a problem? Is that a problem? <laughs> <laughs> Not a problem. It's too late now, isn't it? It's I can't really now. change my voice. Sorry, you need to go back yeah. and get born again. <laughs> 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 This is Layers, a conversation about building brands with more depth. This week, we're talking about going through the process of a rebrand. The rebrand project's been greenlighted, and now it's time to put the project in go mode. But a rebrand is a little different to doing it clean skin, like you would maybe with a new company. Understanding the differences between a rebrand and a brand can help you get a better outcome. But there's also things to keep in mind as you go through the process, like the human element, how to keep your team engaged on the project, what happens when you can't agree, and all that brand building kind of stuff. Mark, let's start with a confusing matter. <laughs> I love a confusing re- matter. Rebrand re- versus brands. Are they not the same thing? Mm. Do they not follow the same process? Yeah, well, I think the answer fundamentally is yes. You know, all the, the major beats, I think, are mostly the same. Uh, a lot of the stuff that we talked about, well, all the stuff really that we talked about in the, the first season of the pod around how to build your brand, you know, sort of layer by layer from the strategy up, that all absolutely still applies, you know, as much, you know, I think even if not more so, and I think that's one of the slight slight nuances. But yeah, like the the idea that it, it should be born out of strategy and then developing a solid position and, and building from there still very much applies. And, you know, all those other, I guess, elements and layers that we talked about around the visuals and the messaging and the websites and all that sort of stuff. Again, all applies if, if those are areas that you're tackling. Yeah. I mean, what do you think? Well, I mean, uh, I mean, uh, the, the first place my mind goes to is, is that a rebrand, it tends to pay more attention to a backstory, mm-hmm. whereas a new brand, there's less of a backstory. So, you're crafting the story as you go. Yep. Um, so, I think that nuance alone becomes something to pay attention to mm-hmm. um, in, a, in a rebrand. And I think, you know, potentially with a new brand, you have a much wider territory to explore. Mm. Whereas whereas with a, a rebrand, it, it's a little narrower. I won't say it's narrow, but it's narrower than a, than a, a brand from scratch. Yep. Um, so, yeah, it's just trying to focus in on what that, that backstory looks like and how you how you pay homage to that in, in the rebrand. Yeah, I mean, I had a similar note too in terms of it's almost to me a little bit of a different way to think about the strategy Mm-hmm. component of it because you just have that added layer as you're saying of whether it's history or you know one of the other things i was thinking about is you've got all the the usual parts of developing a brand strategy around figuring out what you're trying to say what you're about what's your service offering how does that feed into your messaging all those sorts of things but there's almost also this added layer of like what are the problems that we're trying to solve as well in in terms of you know, we're rebranding for a reason, as we've talked about, and trying, you know, that being steeped in a good reason. Okay, well, if that's a list of four or five things that we need to fix, you've suddenly got to start adding that into the strategy consideration as well. All those other things still apply. You've still got to get them right, but you've got this added layer of sort of problem solving as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I think the other aspect of it as well too is to know the story mm-hmm. and for, for the people who are involved, directly involved in a rebrand, you have to know that that backstory and that probably isn't 
just reading the about page on the current <laughs> website. <laughs> yeah. You've got to you've got to kind of understand the history, you've got to understand the story behind all the elements of the of the brands and then think about okay, well then how do you how do you pay homage to that heritage mm. but also how do you shift it shift it forward? And that's different um, to say starting something from scratch because you don't really have to focus on any of that. Yeah, so, exactly. So, yeah. Yeah, I think you really want to understand to your point what's gone well in the past, you know, what hasn't been so good. You know, you want to make sure you're keeping, as you say, with the idea of paying homage, you want to keep what's good still. You know, I don't think it'd have to be a pretty drastic circumstance that a rebrand is ever about completely ignoring the past, you know, so working out what you want to almost keep or bring through is important. Oh, I was just going to say, like, the... Like you, in terms of like the things that you want to bring forward in the brand, I mean, customer is the other one that comes to mind mm. because with a with a clean skin, like you don't have any customers yet. Like you're hoping that you will attract a certain type of customer, and you can almost engineer the brand to to attract a certain type of type of customer. But in a current brand situation, you've already got customers, and you want to bring them along into the the future. Yeah. So you have to also pay attention to like what is that what is that customer base that you've already got and then how do you how do you migrate them across as you rebrand without alienating them of course you might want maybe you want <laughs> maybe you want an entirely new, new type of customer but yeah but, well but maybe but oftentimes it's not the case you don't want to get rid of no you don't want to get rid of like the the revenue that you've already got no i mean it's interesting uh side note and i think we talked about this a bit before is that idea of you know, not all customers are good customers. So, you know, certainly if one of the problems that you're trying to address is that you're attracting the wrong type of people, then certainly that's part of the one of those problems for the rebrand to, to help address. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, along the similar lines, like I think that for a rebrand versus a new brand, maybe it actually means that you need to do, you know, more resource, uh, sorry, research, take more time with some of these things. Again, you know, if you're talking about the, existing customer idea like is it that you actually do interviews with them you know get an even deeper understanding of what's you know what they love about the current brand you know not just the 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 logo but what do they love about your business what do they think it stands for you know just to me it's almost you have to be more considered because i think the other part of it is it's like there's probably almost always more at stake during a rebrand than there is for a new brand. Yes. Um, so, to me, that all just kind of feeds into this idea of, you know, take your time, you know, do more research, you know, be even more thorough about vetting the strategy that you're coming up with and just sort of considering the impact that every step's going to have just that bit deeper. Yeah, and I think the research piece is really interesting as you kind of get further into the the brand development itself because you do have the opportunity before you release or even at that early stage where you've only got like a draft version of the the brand options that you could bring that customer voice into mm. some level of prototyping or research to understand does it resonate with with them if you're not if you're trying to actively keep them engaged in mm. the, in the new brands then the best way to do that is just to bring them in and and start chatting about the brand and, and getting their their thoughts and feelings around it yeah what else is on the list and any other nuances between a rebrand and a, and a new brand yeah, I think the one of the other challenges for me is really that it's probably more difficult to keep an open mind when mm. it's a rebrand 
you know, because as we talked about last time, you know, there will be a lot more personal feelings involved. There's a lot of attachment and history with the brand. So maybe you're less open to new ideas and I mean, even the cost factor, you know, so someone might, you know, come in and actually suggest that a name change is actually critical to the strategy or you'd gone in hoping that you could keep your logo, but you know, for whatever reason, as part of the research or the strategy piece, it's borne out that it'd be better to change it. You know, I think there is that challenge, added challenge of keeping an open mind that, you know, maybe some things you didn't want to change should change. Mm. So I think it's just probably just being aware of that and, and considering this may be painful or difficult, but you know, if it is for the best, you know, just be open to that. What is your thinking around how radical you can get with a rebrand? Like, is it the bigger that you that you are, the the less scope that you've got for for change because change inherently means risk to the mm. company. So if you shift from over here in position A and rather than just going to B, you're going down to say F or G. Yeah. Does is that? I mean, where 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 do you stand on all of that? Certainly, something to consider. I mean, I'd probably be the the broken record here a little bit and say that it's it should probably be a little bit aligned to what you're trying to achieve you know if if the reason for the rebrand is you need a radical shift then you know tuning at five percent isn't going to get you that result you know and vice versa if you are only looking to say modernize and you have a great customer base and and, you know high brand loyalty but you just want to freshen things up to remain current and almost protect that lead for example then a radical shift you know is likely a bad idea in that scenario so same old story. I think it's just aligning it to the goals of, of what you're trying to do. I'd say there'd probably almost always be a disconnect there slightly between agency and client. There just always is. The the agency wants to be more radical, I think, just by nature. Yeah. Um, the client's probably going to be a bit more on the conservative side. But, again, if that's based out of coming, um, you know, to a set of common goals and a really strong brief, then that shouldn't be as big a problem. Yeah, and I think it's also something for the brand manager or the CEO to kind of pay attention to as well too is that, you, I mean, they oftentimes will, will want to put their stamp on it like we've been talking about in other points mm. and they may want to shift the thing, the brand radically further forward than it really needs to go as yeah, well. for sure. So, I, I think it's both for agency and client to, to be kind of wary of that, that yeah. you don't kind of throw the pendulum too far the other way. Yeah, like we said in the very first episode of this season, it's like, just ask yourself why, you know. Yeah. Why do you want to make it so radically different? Yeah. Is that because you're bored or is it because that's actually what's needed, you know, to completely reshape the perception of the brand? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right. So, let's talk about process mm-hmm. and and talking about what happens when you've you've kind of gone through the process of, of getting green lighted and now you're ready to roll and you're actually – like pulling humans together to, to kick this thing off. Who who do you think are the people that should be in that that conversation, that very first workshopping conversation? Mm. Yeah, well, I think broadly speaking, this like is a decent challenge, not just in that first instance, but throughout the process then as well. Like, because you want to almost, to me, scale that involvement of other people up and down as you go. You know, you don't want, six key decision makers, you know, who have to be involved at every minute sign-off point. But there probably is key times when you do want 
more people involved than just the brand manager, for example. And I think to your point, the, the kickoff meeting is part of that. One of the things that I always sort of found interesting about that is that two things. One is, I guess, try and get what we call domain experts in from different areas of the business. Mm. You know, you always think, oh, branding, well, that's the marketing team's job, you know, job done. But if there are key areas of your business like customer service or the people who actually deliver the service, who are actually doing the work and interacting day to day. Salespeople, exactly. You want to, I guess, to me, get a smattering of those people involved early. And this is true for a fresh brand or a rebrand. But yeah, just to get those different perspective and get that real coalface kind of point of view. Because oftentimes the CEO isn't necessarily dealing with customers. The marketing team might not be directly dealing with customers. And if we say that customers are the focus, I think trying to get those expert opinions from other areas. But as you say, you know, sales team, like they're not necessarily, you know, marketing people, but they would, I think, add a lot of value um, to those conversations. Yeah, that's so true. And I don't know if you cast your mind way back to when we first started in agency land that we we were working inside of a client's um, building mm. and we we had our own little office, but we had our door open most of the time. We could hear a lot of the going-ons yeah. of the, the business and we would often overhear some of the customer service phone calls that were coming in mm. and dealing with the same issue over and over and over again yeah. and and knowing that that probably could have been addressed through some better brand communication, some better you know um, technology upgrades, like it was a whole range of different things. Mm. So, it's so true what you say. It's like if you, if you have... If you have those those right people in the, the conversation, you're you're probably going to get across more of the, the issues and the challenges early on. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think that's a big factor yeah. is, is getting those right people, and they don't necessarily have to be the most senior people in your in your organisation no, either. No, I would no. imagine. Yeah, I think the other thing that that opens you up to as well is creating these sort of brand champions. You know, as well, you know, these people who are sort of deeply seated in different departments. And as you say, they're not always the, the top person in that area. If they're involved and excited and feel like their voice is being heard and they might either, you could go, I guess, both ways. You could get in the people who are already really passionate about the brand and, you know, use their enthusiasm and insight or mm. you could find a few people who are less engaged and try and find out why and, and what would get them really engaged with the brand. But Right, so you just don't want a bunch of yes men in there. No, exactly. But also then I just see it as you're setting up those people to then, I guess, champion the process as it goes on, you know, be sort of people getting behind it when you do come time to to actually do the relaunch, you know, because as we've alluded to before, you want the whole team to be buzzing about the the, the rebrand that, you know, is often part of the reason why you're doing it. Yeah, and I think the internal PR campaign, if you want to put it that way, starts at that workshop because, I mean, we'll talk about rollout in in episodes to come, but, you know, you have to think about, you know, how how you communicate this whole brand refresh and I think it starts from from day dot in those those workshops. Is there an ideal size for a a workshop? I mean, you've run so many of them. Mm. I mean, have you, do do you think that there's the the right size, like number of people in in a workshop? Yeah, certainly. I mean, anecdotally, I'd say the five, six, seven range, you know, from the client side and then, you know, a couple of two to three people on the agency side. I think anything more than 10 is definitely going to get quite unwieldy. Mm -hmm. 
there's definitely is a, a too many cooks syndrome, even though we, we have techniques to try and get around um, some of that. Yeah, because um, that's that's more like when you get beyond that, so you're talking research versus, yeah, versus workshopping. Exactly, yeah. yeah. I mean, there is, I think there is a way to potentially involve um, those domain experts. They don't necessarily have to be there in the entire process. So, if you're actually talking more about like a, a full day or even a multi-day sort of strategy phase of, of information gathering, you might have a core team on the client side of two or three, you know, so imagine the brand manager, marketing coordinator and CEO perhaps who are there the whole time. And then maybe just one of those steps in the workshop process is to bring in the salesperson. They get their interview done. You know, those other people there observing and taking notes and asking questions but then that sales person can then go and get on with the rest of their day. And then you bring in the next expert, yeah. sort of do a series of almost internal interviews, as you say. Yeah. But the core team might sort of stick through that whole process. Yep. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. How do you, how do you keep uh, the team engaged as you go through mm. a rebrand? Because you've got, you've got a workshop which everyone's really buzzing about and, and usually those are like good vibe events. Um, because everyone's really excited to to get into a rebrand process, yeah, um, and it gives everyone an opportunity to have a voice and to get all those issues out on the table and step through a bunch of exercises, and it all all is very very exciting. Yeah, and, it's, and it's an optimistic time. Optimistic time, ever full of potential. Yeah, all possibilities. Yeah, and then time becomes a factor. Then yeah. then the the weeks you know start to 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 go by mm. and. And so then you have an issue about engagement. So within your own team, yep. What are some of the things you've noticed about engagement in in teams? You know, as you sort of roll out a rebrand or go through the rebrand process. I think the first thing, really, like a lot of these things about engagement, is is setting those expectations clearly first. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is. If you're going to involve the salesperson up front, he comes to that workshop, he's all excited, he or she, but then they think then they're going to be involved at every key decision point from then on, but then they're not. They're going to be disgruntled. (laughs) Whereas if you make it clear, you know, at least give them some idea of how involved they are going to be or they even want to be, you know, then I think setting those expectations definitely is a big part of keeping that engagement because, yeah, if there's an implied idea that, hey, I'm going to be really involved in this and then I'm not, that's definitely going to lead to, to, oh, no one's listening to me, my voice isn't being heard or, oh, what, the brand got approved and I didn't ever saw it, you know, that sort of feeling. I think that's mainly what you're trying to avoid. From there, I think it's really just about, I guess, right-sizing and finding those key moments like I talked about before because there's going to be a lot of small steps in the process where you can't have six to ten people involved. It's just not practical. Mm. But you also want to make sure that, I guess, depending on your situation that maybe at key stages you are still bringing in more outside voices than just one person, you know, you don't necessarily want, as you say, all this involvement and excitement at the front and then just nothing until, you know, it's like served up on a platter with all the decisions made. So yeah, I think about that in terms of like, it's probably best to get people involved when it's early concept stage you know, so like, okay, we've had this meeting, we've agreed on a brief, you know, here's the first concepts and actually 
getting them involved then because there's more opportunity for them to have more influence then, you know, if it's small tweaks to color palette later, like, you know, again, it's not really needed to get that many people involved. It's probably just around those first concepts, for example, making sure, okay, how well do they meet the brief? How well is this solving the challenges? That sort of thing. That's probably a good point to have a few more people involved. Mm. And then it's like, okay, well, if we're all in alignment that, this concept and this strategy, you know, aligned and, and let's go execute. Then from there, you can have, I guess, a little less involvement with the broader team because it really should just be then about executing on those ideas. Yeah, I think one of the challenges for brand managers when you get past that first workshop, that brand workshop, you're a couple of weeks into the project, you start getting some concepts back from the agency and then you go looking for your CEO in the office and you can't find him and he's hard to, to lock down. He's off climbing a mountain or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You can't, you can't get any decisions made and, and they've become disengaged with the process. They're guns firing when they were there in the workshop, but then it's just really hard to pin them down. And also a lot of conversation has happened probably post-workshop between brand manager and the agency. And then, and then you've, you know, the, the CEO is really kind of struggling to contextualize where we're at mm. right now. And so, you get this uh, situation that happens with sign-off where the, you can't, you're sort of deadlocked in a way in terms of how to, how to move forward. What, what, are you, what are your thoughts around, around how to break those deadlocks and how to keep CEOs engaged or keep other people engaged in the, in the process as they go along, if they're, specifically if they're decision makers? Yeah. Yeah, I think the for me the most important thing, as you mentioned there, is like how do you tell that story of how you got from A to B, mm-hmm. you know, and keep them, I guess, abreast of that. Because as you say, there is going to be so many conversations and reasons that the people who just go in and out of the process won't understand necessarily. Mm. You know, there might be a huge reason why you chose that particular, you know, typeface or messaging platform etc but they'll just look at it face value and go oh no that's not what i would have done or you know why didn't you choose green yeah and so i guess it's about developing ideas around how to i guess keep that story flowing like maybe it's a case that in in your scenario where the ceo isn't around if you're still dropping them updates via email or something so that at least you know, you're letting them know how things are progressing and why they're heading in a certain direction. Because again, in terms of the the deadlocking, deadlock breaking process, and this is so true, the more people you're involved, it's it's got to be about coming back to the strategy, coming back to the brief. Is the outcome delivering on those things and why and why not? You know, it's we talk about it all the time that it's really difficult to remove personal bias and preference and what you like from how you evaluate creative work. I think that gets exponentially harder than when it's someone who doesn't do it every day or is only flittering in and out of the, the project. So I think it's just about being strong and confident in the reasoning and just sticking to that, trying to guide the conversation back to to why you've made certain decisions and, and having a really robust rationale for that yeah it's worth circling back on that point because as a brand manager i think one of the most important things that you have to do in a rebrand project is to give everybody the talk yeah and the talk (laughs) the the talk is basically 
that you need to remove your personal preferences and bias, as you say, because because otherwise you're going to end up with a substandard result or you're going to have, you know, decision by committee yeah. and, and that's never a great outcome. And I think that's one of the big risks to any rebrand project or brand project even for that matter is that your, your personal preference and your bias kind of gets too mixed in there. Mm-hmm. And like you say, it's coming back and anchoring back in that strategy piece as as the as the, the gut check. Yeah. Especially again, you know, to tie it back in if those people have have been involved in setting that strategy, you know, because if you can, you know, demonstrate well we believe this work delivers on the strategy that you agree to, you help come up with, then it's very hard for them, I think, to argue back against that. There's always nuances of saying, well, I don't think it does deliver on that strategy and people will differ in opinions, but yeah. That's just the nature, I think, of any work. So, anytime as a brand manager, what you're saying is anytime as a brand <laughs> manager that you go into a meeting with a CEO, you walk in with that brand strategy oh, 100%. In, in hand. Yeah. Just knock them over the head with it <laughs> time and time again. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting to, to consider. It's To me, it just highlights that one of the difficult you know, aspects of a brand manager role or whoever's championing this, you know, we've talked in other instances, it might be the CEO or someone else who's trying to push it through they've got this dual role where they've, they've got to be doing the actual work with the agency or themselves or whatever to get the work right. Mm-hmm. But a huge component of this is selling, you know, like selling the strategy, selling the outcomes, you know, keeping people engaged, helping them understand why, like that whole stakeholder management part of this is a, is a huge part of that person's role and not an easy one. Yeah, I mean, you couldn't have that conversation without talking about the agency role in all of that as well, too. Yeah. Because agencies, I mean, they if they're if they're a decent agency, they're going to be continuing to talk about strategy all the way through the project yep. as as a way to kind of head off any of those personal preferences or bias yep. um, towards you know the, the the brand and how it's evolving. Mm-hmm. But what happens in a situation where you're going through a rebrand and you don't like the work that the agency has done? And this is kind of a funny topic for us to be talking about because mm. we sit on the other side of the, the ledger. Yeah. But, I mean, that, that's an interesting thing to kind of have to grapple with, isn't it? Like mm. that the agency has put their heart and soul into to the rebrand and and where they've landed you don't love. How do you handle that from a process standpoint if you were putting yourself in the client's shoes for a, for a moment? Well, it's funny because I can actually do that. <laughs> I mean, you know, I was a brand manager in a previous life. So, I have definitely been in this scenario where uh, even a lot of the stuff that we've talked about where I've gone into uh, either a, a branding project or a website project or even a campaign project with such high hopes and expectations and you get really excited when you have that kickoff meeting. You think that the agency really understands you and what you're after and then you get that first bit of creative back and it's such a deflating moment, you know, when when it doesn't live up to those expectations. For me, it always came back to just trying to identify, okay, what are they not getting here? Like, what is it about it? Not just, I guess, criticizing the work and saying, you know, I don't like it for these reasons, but trying to peel back that layer and understand, okay, what are they not getting about what we're trying to achieve here? And usually for me, a lot of that was in the insights, like they weren't understanding the insight that we were trying to communicate. So, for example, it was at the time a lot to do with about sneakers and sneaker culture and and communicating that to our audience who were already clued into all that sort of thing. 
And it was just a case at the end of the day that they just didn't really understand that world. And, you know, they weren't getting the nuances of, of what it meant to be cool and fashionable and attractive in sneaker culture. So a lot of it came back to us about just continuing to try and educate them on those insights and that world until they sort of it clicked for them, you know, what that customer cared about and how to come across in the right way to them, have the right tone, the right look, that sort of thing. So I guess that that was my real world experience with it was just trying to understand why, why are they getting it wrong and how do we get on the same page about that before you get too specific about, you know, move this around or change that color. Because mm. there's different layers to it. I mean, it could just be the aesthetic's not right. They might be getting the insight, but they just haven't executed on the design style. So, okay, let's go back and look at mood boards and other ways, other tools that we can use to get on the same page about the aesthetic. But, and that's probably easy to solve, but if it's just fundamentally, they're just completely missing the mark, then you've got to try and figure out why, I guess. Yeah. And like any process, a brand process is a process. So, you're going to step through different um, iterations and in different phases with the idea that you're sort of bringing it to a narrow point mm. um, and that you're, you're starting out a little bit wider and then you, you're bringing it into a point where, you know, everything kind of makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, a good agency you would hope is actually taking you on that journey too to make sure that they are getting it right at each step as yep. opposed to just get a brief, go away for two months, come back with completely finished work. There is ways to... Uh, I guess, step you through that journey a, a bit more collaborative so that it's less likely that the outcome is going to be wrong. You know, mm. there's there's little trigger points that you can get on the same page. What else should you expect from an agency during the, the process? I think good communication is paramount. Mm. You know, it's pretty obvious with everything that we've been talking about uh, in the same way that the brand manager has that stakeholder management piece, the agency has that as well. So you want to make sure that they're giving you regular updates, that they're not disappearing, you know, all the time. And they might not have a lot to tell you, but just keeping that constant touch, I think, is really good. What does that What does that mean on a practical day-to-day point of view? Like, Yeah, I mean, I think, like, even if they're just making sure they check in once a week on the same sort of cadence, you know, every Thursday we're going to give you an update or something like that. If it's not a more intense process where they're talking to you sort of every other day, you know, how they sort of structure and deliver that communication can be important. So getting like six or seven different random emails during the week is probably not that helpful for anyone. It can be hard to keep yeah. track of email trails. You know, a lot of we've seen a lot of benefit oftentimes in sort of batching things together. You know, it helps the agency keep things organized, but also helps the client go and do their thing, but then come in and just, you know, hit on five or six key points rather than, as I say, getting peppered on a Tuesday morning and then a Wednesday afternoon, it's harder for them to, to manage that. Yeah, not that this is a podcast on how to communicate no. better, but but I also think like the uh, an agency who is a great communicator usually displays the ability to pick up the phone mm. at the right times and, and vice versa. If you're sitting client side, picking up the phone and being able to have a conversation, because sometimes it's just there's there's not you can you can email to your blue in the face, mm-hmm. but but sometimes it just requires a conversation. Yeah. Um, so either that's a face to face or it's it's jumping on the phone. Yep. Yeah. I think the other other aspect of that too is do you feel like they're listening to you? Mm. You know, as a client, and I think the nuance there is like. 
not just are they doing everything that I say, because it's not a case that, you know, an agent, a good agency shouldn't just literally do everything you ask for because then they're probably not earning their money. Mm. But there's certainly ways that they can they can demonstrate that they are considering, you know, what you take what you're saying and taking it on board, which might even be as simple as like, this is what you asked for, we tried it out, it didn't work, or we don't agree with that because, you know, of this reason, like it doesn't align with the strategy. But as long as they're actually responding and addressing, you know, to the main things that you're flagging. And again, as we talked about in that previous example, like are they, can you tell that they're making an effort to try and understand things from your point of view? Are they trying to understand your business needs? Are they trying to really understand your customer and what they care about? That's a, a big flag. Yeah. Red or otherwise. Yeah, agreed. Uh, any final points on, on the agency process? Really just that it is a two-way street as well. You know, it's not all a case of like, is the agency, you know, being good or bad, but that there are things that, you know, rest on you as a client, you know, sort of responsibilities and flip side is it is a, a sign of a good agency. I think if they're helping you understand what, what those responsibilities are, you know, if they're telling you how they give good feedback, if they're telling you when they're going to need your input, those sorts of things. But yeah, just making sure that just things like, you know, that your feedback is constructive and, and not, you know, as we said before, not too personal or not too directive. You know, usually what we ask people is, if something's not working, try and tell us why it's not working. Like don't immediately jump to a solution or tell us how to fix it. Again, that's why you're paying us is mm. to come up with the best solution to the problem, not to just implement your solution. And the, the only other small note there really is just making sure that your feedback's consolidated as well. You don't want to be getting, you know, the brand manager's thoughts at 9am and, you know, you start to go and think about actioning them and then, you know, midday the ceo's thoughts come through and they're contradictory and those sorts of things like yeah you just want to make sure on your side that you're getting whoever's involved at that particular moment together making sure that your feedback is consolidated hashing some of that stuff out on your own side first and then presenting that kind of as a a summary pack back to the agency yeah good call i like it all right, so let's talk about examples of when it goes goes really well. Yeah. Um, what, what does a, a rebrand look like? Is there any kind of practical kind of moments that you can reference? Yeah, I mean, we've uh, we talked about this. I guess that we've done a few of these and one in particular that I guess comes to mind was a client of ours who really had sort of hit a key pivot point in their business. They had sort of essentially were not drastically changing their model, but they had, they had a real, I guess, perception challenge as well that they were trying to move away from. So there was lots of things feeding into why they were rebranding. Also just been, you know, a certain amount of time since they'd done the first brand. So, you know, maybe trends had changed a little bit since then. They wanted to appear a bit more grown up. But I think the, a bunch of the reasons why it did go well is there was definitely a trust factor there with us. You know, we'd worked with them before for a long time. We'd actually been there pretty much from day one of their business. So I guess with that in mind, they kind of, even though there was a lot of a personal attachment to the people involved, they were quite open-minded and, and willing to go outside of their comfort zone and essentially just let us do our thing. But there were some moments during the process where they were unsure if, if what we were doing was right and, you know, Again, I think because we had that good relationship with them, they were actually put it right out on the table that they didn't think, you know, the way it was going was the right way. Mm. But 
again, because we had those good communication uh, lines and, and that trust factor and openness, like we were able to talk them through it. But a lot of that, again, was the strategy I think that we came up with was quite clear from the get-go, like what we wanted to achieve and how we were going to do it. So in those sort of tense moments where it was harder to make a decision or, you know, it felt like we weren't getting anywhere, we just brought it back to those things and, and were able to align ourselves again. And yeah, I think as well, the other thing that, that just tied into some of the stuff we were talking about is I think we sort of, for the most part, got that balance right between having key people involved in the decisions as we went through, but not sort of having the too many cook syndrome because, I mean, one of the parts of their business model is actually have a bunch of different services and with a bunch of people heading up those teams. So it could have easily, I guess, got bogged down in every single one of them having their own opinion. But I think they did a really good job of that team engagement as we talked about, but not letting that encroach too much on the, the process. Yeah, and I think also just to add to that, having a decider mm, um, exactly. in, in, in a process is important. Like where you do have, you know, you, you might have 10 senior execs who are, you know, involved in a rebrand, but somebody ultimately most likely will have to be a decider. Yeah. And and nominating that person nice and early is probably important as well to For the sure. process. Yeah. Did you have any good examples? No, I think you've done a good job of examples for today. Oh, I uh, killed it. Yeah, I killed it. There you go. <laughs> All right, cool. Um, well, that sounds like a good place to finish up. Um, I mean, the the rebrand is a pretty nuanced kind of process. It isn't just the same as as doing a, a, a brand from scratch, although a lot of the, the processes and the steps you take are similar. Um, recognizing that there's some differences is important because it'll impact the outcome of, of the, the rebrand. Especially on the engagement side, so for, for sure. sure, yeah. All right, cool. Laz, it was a weekly podcast. So it's a conversation between two brand blokes, Mark Campbell and my good self. If you want to hit us up with any questions, you can reach us through our studio, Plaid Studio, or if you want to learn more about building a brand or rebranding for that matter, you can listen to other um, episodes at the Laz Podcast, or also through other good um, podcast platforms like Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Thank you for listening. Thank you to my co-host, Mark. (laughs) Thanks, Dave. Cheers.